Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie The government met yesterday to consider amending a law that has had the unintended consequence of protecting the identity of child killers. A ruling last October in the Court of Appeal also meant that children who had been murdered could not be named by the media once someone had been charged with their murder, denying families the right to convey the impact of the crime on them and their right to pay tribute publicly to the deceased child. Judge George Birmingham's reading of the Children's Act 2001 also raised broader concerns such as how victims of child sexual abuse might have been unable to name their abusers if they wanted to waive their anonymity when they themselves became adults. The Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, is on the line with us. And a very good morning to you, Minister, and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Am I right in saying that this was the unintended consequence of the law? Absolutely. So the the Children's Act, which is the law you're referring to, uh, the particular section which has been interpreted in this way, is there to make sure that when a child is going through a criminal proceeding um, or through a, a court case, that the child cannot be named where it will hurt the child or harm the child or where naming uh, an accused in this situation would unintentionally hurt the child. However, how it's been interpreted in the last few months is that this would apply even where the child is deceased. So the intention, I think, really was that this would apply where the child is alive, where you could cause harm to that child by naming them or the person who's accused um, in the case. But now the the interpretation is that this would apply where a child is deceased. So as you've rightly said, we've heard really terrible stories in the last few months where parents or individual parents are not able to talk about their children, they they can't remember them in the way they want to. We've had a situation only in the last few weeks where a child was murdered and as soon as charges were pressed, that child's name could no longer be mentioned, nor the accused. We've also heard, and and I heard from one young woman who was abused as a child and who is currently still going through the criminal process, but she is now an adult. And even though she wants to give her name, she cannot because of this ruling. So it really was not the intention of the legislation. This was passed some years ago, 
but it has to change because we can't allow this to continue. And unfortunately, the longer this goes on, the more families are, are going to be impacted by this. OK, it follows that ruling last October, uh, the last day of October. I mean, this is uh, a ruling uh, that was made just three months ago, really. Uh, but what about the last 10 years? Uh, is, is there any impact or potential impact on rulings that have been made since 2001? My understanding is no. I think this is really applying to, um, I suppose, situations from now on. Although I suppose we, you know, we, we have seen, you know, and sorry, I'm saying that we have seen situations where families have been able to talk about their children, and because of that, now um, really they're they're not supposed to be, or, or the, the ruling has found that they shouldn't be, and that's why this needs to change as quickly as possible. One of the amendments that I'm proposing. So we have, as you mentioned at the outset, agreed a mechanism to amend this that hopefully will, will be done in a couple of weeks. Um, there are a number of amendments that need to be brought. Uh, one of them will be that this will apply retrospectively so that we won't have a situation where this only applies from when the law has changed and all of those people who have been impacted in new cases in the last few months, but potentially before that where they suddenly were not able to name their children where they were beforehand, uh, that that would apply to them also. Um, there are also a number of things. So, the route that we are taking is that government is allowing Shannon time for Senator Michael McDowell to introduce a bill that he published last year. Uh, there will need to be amendments to that, but that bill will then pass through the stages mm. from Tuesday onwards next week. Uh, and I do hope and I have every confidence that all members of the House, all different parties, uh, will support this to pass as quickly as possible. Uh, and Senator McDool was uh, out of uh, the traps immediately after uh, Justice Birmingham's ruling uh, and had uh, this uh, bill uh, ready to go in November. Uh, so uh, the government looks set to accept it. Now, that's, that's what you brought to Cabinet yesterday, was it? So what I asked Cabinet yesterday was that we would support Senator McDool's bill, um, but with the ex- with the addition that there would be government amendments. So Senator McDool's bill mainly deals with the naming of the perpetrator or the accused person, but there are obviously a number of other elements that we needed to deal with, and that's why it's taken, unfortunately, a little bit more time. Initially, we needed to see, firstly, that this was a justice bill because it is the, it, it is a Children's Act, uh, and we now have a separate Department of Children. Uh, secondly, we needed to identify what other amendments potentially needed to be made. So there is naming of the perpetrator or the accused, which is extremely important here. There is ensuring that the child can be named. And so the proposed amendments that government will make will mean that the, the natural position in the court will be that where a child is deceased, mm. they will automatically be named. Secondly, we will need to make an amendment that will allow for certain circumstances. And I'll, I'll say, for example, if there is a child that's deceased, but they have a sibling that is still alive, and by naming that sibling or the, the, the deceased child, you may inadvertently name the, the, the sibling and cause them harm, that there are exceptions to that rule. Uh, we also need to make sure that in situations where somebody is a victim of abuse and, and becomes an adult, that they can name themselves. And then we also need to make sure that this can apply retrospectively. So while I, I would have loved mm. to have moved on Senator McDowell's bill immediately after it was published, there was a lot of work to do just to make sure that we covered absolutely every possible angle to this, that we didn't have to come back again a second time and that there were no unintended consequences for, for anybody anywhere down the line. Uh, and when you say retrospectively, does that work both ways in the sense that children who can't be named now because of this interpretation of the law, if you like, will be able to uh, be named publicly in the future? And does it also mean uh, that there will be no prospect of uh, an appeal uh, because someone's rights 
uh, may have been undermined because of, of how the law had been interpreted previously. So to the first question, yes, this means anybody who's been impacted um, by this new ruling, they will now be able to name their child or they will be able to speak out themselves. And I think that's really important because, you know, Mm. there's a lot of people even in a short space of time, unfortunately, have been impacted by this ruling. Um, Secondly, it won't impact on the actual outcome of the case. So, um, you know, anything that has happened, any trial that has happened, um, the the result is as it is and, and... there won't be any impact and, and my understanding is that there won't be any ability to, to appeal this on, on the basis of this change that's going to be made. Okay. All right, uh, Minister, uh, we've been hearing uh, this morning uh, from uh, the Policing Committee in uh, Drogheda and uh, the Joint Policing Committee uh, is to write uh, to two ministers uh, about money that's seized by local Gardaí from drugs gangs. Uh, they want that to be ring-fenced and to used uh, for local treatment services and frontline services. Uh, we've discussed this in the past and you said that uh, the money goes to the Exchequer and uh, that uh, it's uh, the Minister for Finance and to the Minister for Public Expenditure who would have to look at, at this. I'm not sure, but there seems to be some confusion in Drogheda surrounding all of this uh, and your role in, in determining where that money ends up. Well, this is, is something you're right. I very firmly believe in and I think that proceeds of crime and if we look at the amount of money and and goods that CAB seizes but also that the Gardaí sees throughout the year I believe that it would be very well spent and that it would be wonderful to see that money going back into all communities not just necessarily where it's confiscated Mm. from. I gave a commitment a a number of months ago that this is something I wanted to pursue and that I would and I have been doing that. Um, I have been engaging with Minister Michael McGrath who's our Minister for Public Expenditure and we've had a number of conversations. We've had correspondence and I'm actually meeting with him next week on this issue. So, you know, it's not... But but, but just to be clear... Sorry, Minister, just to be clear, uh, you didn't commit to making this money uh, available in the way uh, that the Joint Policing Committee uh, is asking. You made a commitment uh, that you'd lobby the ministers yourself as a senior minister uh, on this issue. Well, the commitment that I made was that I would look to try and see, well, that, that I would pursue the issue that money or that goods or proceeds of crime that they would go back directly into communities But that wasn't wasn't a decision that you could make personally Minister No it's not and Mm. and that's why I need Mm. to work with the and and that's why I said I would pursue this Mm. with my colleague because if it was a decision that I could take on my own I'd like to think that I'd have made more progress on it at this stage, but this is maybe a, a more complex space. It's not something that has been done before. I have also spoken to CAB on this before Christmas because, you know, I wanted to get their view as to, to, to how they felt this could work. Um, and we know that there is lots of different proposals out there. My colleague Fergus O'Dowd um, proposed a bill on this a number of years ago. There are a number of other colleagues who have different views as to how this might work, how money could be distributed, how communities could access it, where it would go. And this is all that was something that I'm trying to work through at the moment. And this is why I'm meeting with uh, Michael McGrath next week to see if this is something that we can progress. But, but, but you I have, believe, you I have already it, spoken to him, Minister, have you? I, I have. Uh, and what did he say? We've had positive discussions about it. Um, I suppose we need to get into further detail as to how this might work. And I have put forward a number of proposals. And and maybe just to give you an example of how I think this could work, we have a number of pilot programmes that are being developed at the moment. They're called Community Safety Partnerships. Uh, There's one in Dublin. There will be one in Longford and Waterford. Uh, We have work underway 
from the Gibbs Vivian Gearan report and Drogheda and the surrounding areas. But these community partnerships will uh, eventually be taking place in all counties where agencies, where relevant bodies, where local authorities, community groups, Gardaí, everybody will come together in a statutory footing to set out a plan for their community. And I believe that those community groups should be able to access funding that they could decide what the funding is for, how they use it, uh, how it goes back into their community and what better way for that funding to come from than through proceeds of crime. So I really believe in this. I am trying to make progress on it. Obviously, it's not just decision, a decision for me to make. It, it's quite a significant move away from how this funding naturally goes into the Exchequer at the moment. Um, but that's not to say that just because something hasn't been done before, it can't be done. So uh, I, I will pursue this and, and obviously will update you uh, perhaps following our, our meeting next week. And your sense, Minister, if I, I can ask you, uh, is that this will happen, is it? I, I can't say that for sure, but I want to see it happen and I will do what I can to, to make this happen because I think it is the right thing to do uh, and I think it would benefit so many communities and so mm. many people and it would send a very strong message to those who are uh, engaged in criminal activity that you know, not only um, are we doing everything to make sure that you cannot continue in that work, but the, the, the goods that you have and the money that you make will actually go back into the communities. That it can be quite quite a lot of money. Uh, I, I mean, uh, the gangs don't worry too much about where it goes. I'm sure they don't like it being taken off them. But as we've been learning, uh, the guards have been successful in taking quite a, a lot of money and property and cars and watches and all of that from some of uh, these gangsters. Uh, but in terms of distributing that money to frontline services across the country, is it that there would be a, a national pool of money that would be distributed across uh, the 26 counties or is it that the money seized in one guarded division would go to the frontline services or a percentage of that money would go to the frontline services in that particular division? So this is something that has to be worked through and, and I suppose I don't want to get into to detail without having had those detailed conversations with the Minister but I have views as I've just said as to how I think this could work where every single county would benefit from it, where every single community could access funds and that they themselves could decide where that funding goes to and how it's spent and to me that's that's what's important, you're giving the power back to each individual community um, and you're not just saying that you know it's only communities where there is uh, where there is significant numbers of crime or you know that everybody would be able to access this funding but again this is something that I need to, to speak through and work through with the Minister. is something that I will be pursuing uh, and really would like to see happen um, and obviously uh, do need the support of, of other Ministers to do that. So hopefully we'll, we'll get that support. OK, well, I, I think uh, that's a, a statement uh, that will be looked on as a significant statement by many people listening to us this morning. Thanks uh, for making it on the programme with us uh, today, Thanks, Minister. But, but before you go, Minister, can I just ask you uh, about uh, the lockdown and uh, the current measures are, we're going into a, a new phase uh, from uh, the 5th of March. You were talking yesterday about uh, mandatory vaccination for healthcare workers. Uh, is that something that could be extended uh, in some respect to all people? What I would say is I, I was asked a question yesterday um, about the fact that there seems to be in some um, situations healthcare workers who have decided that they don't want to take the vaccine and, and do I think that it should be mandatory. I don't personally think that we can force, nor should we ever force anybody to take a vaccine. Mm. Um, but we do need to obviously keep uh, something like this under close consideration in terms of 
you know, if you have a significant number of frontline workers or healthcare workers that do not want to take the vaccine, but they are working with and they, they are helping people who are sick and who could potentially contract this mm. virus. I think it's something that, you know, needs to be kept under consideration as to how that could work. Well, without uh, forcing people to take the vaccine, you could say to them, you don't have to take the vaccine if you don't want to come to work. If you want to come to work, you have to take the vaccine. In the same way, you could say to people, uh, you can get on an aeroplane if you have evidence of having been vaccinated. Or, or you could extend that to people who want to go to the pub or a concert or a football stadium or whatever the case may be, that you would have to have proof of vaccination. And look, we, we have that in certain countries or, you know, I, I travelled a number of years ago to the Ivory Coast in, in Africa and you cannot travel without a particular card to show that you have gotten your vaccines. That does exist, you know, however, I don't think we're, we're quite talking about that yet. I think the, the, the focus is to try and get as many people vaccinated as possible. And if you look at the overall figures and, and the initial numbers, the vast majority of people are very keen to have the vaccine you know, it is emerging in, I think, very small pockets that there are some people who don't want to get this. And I do think particularly where people are working with others who are sick and potentially could contract this uh, virus, then we're talking about something very different here than asking other people to, you know, to produce a a vaccine passport, so to speak, if they're to go to the shop or to go to the pub. I I don't think we're, we're, we're at that stage yet. And that's not something that uh, I, I think we should be advocating for, but I do certainly think we're, we're in a health setting. It's something that needs to be to be kept under review. Okay, Minister, thank you very much indeed. Uh, if, for if, if I could yeah. just very briefly, yeah. sorry, sorry. I, it, it's very cold, there's snow on the ground, okay. and we have Gardaí the length and, and breadth of the country who are at checkpoints outside from, from morning to night, and I just want to, to thank them if I could, because it's, it's not easy conditions to be out <laughs> on the roads doing their work. So yeah, you, know what they say, say, uh, thank you. you know what they say, I wouldn't put a cat out in it. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> it's, it's dreadful, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's great work they do, and I hope that they've uh, plenty of uh, thermal wear. Uh, Minister, thank you very much indeed and I think that'll be appreciated by uh, the force as well. That's uh, the Minister for Justice and Fine Gael TD for me, these Telemac and T. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 